Hey, it's Toph, and welcome to part two of our time with Rupert Holmes. Um, so on part one, we tackled a lot of different topics, and on part two here, we will dig into adventure album track by track. So away we go here with part two of our episode with Rupert Holmes. Well, uh, why don't we, um, you know, spin, spin the desk, okay? <laughs> you have to search through 1950s DJ terminology, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, we got a little platter. We're, got a little platter. We're going to send yeah. you away now. This is going out to Tony and Maria in, in, in Hop Hog. Exactly. This is for you. Exactly. A two for Tuesday. Here we come, go. Come and answer. Come and answer. Out only 10 seconds already, number three on our super You know, the, the album starts out very memorably with the title track and, and with this iconic um, keyboard riff, um, which kind of takes you th- through some twists and turns here on the opener to 1980s adventure, Adventure. All right, Rupert, where, like, where did that come from? That is like, that is just absurdly cool, that keyboard. <laughs> and, and what were you playing that on, too? Okay. Uh, what's kind of interesting, I think, uh, about this album, as opposed to virtually all my other albums, is, as I told you, I knew that I had to be able to perform this album live. Right. And normally I use a lot of orchestration, all of which I arrange myself. If any note you hear on one of my albums, I've written that note with a pencil on a, on, and, and had it, you know, this could not be the case. Um, but I still wanted to get some of the colors and textures that I was used to on my albums. And that those people who knew my work from earlier albums would not say, well, this is all just like this, like four pieces on this album. So everything that you hear on this album that is not bass, drums, or Dean Balin's guitar mm-hmm. is me uh, playing uh, what was at the time um, a, a, a very new synthesizer called, and it was called a Prophet 10. And it was the kind of uh, uh, souped up version of a fairly new analog synthesizer that became standard called the Prophet 5. This mm-hmm. was dual keyboards, and the serial number on my Prophet 10 was 0013. <laughs> it was the 13th one made, wow. and they had no manual. They hadn't written the manual yet, yeah. and there were no presets. I had to invent every color with knobs and buttons and save, and then save it to a, a kind of a, a, a tape medium. And, um, and I tried to find the uh, the analog uh, synthesized equivalents of the kinds of tabbers and and colors and and, uh, the heftiness of of real orchestra. And this opening, what I was trying to do in this song was basically started as if you were going to see the main title for a, 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 an epic film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's super and, theatric. Yeah. 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 Very theatrical, very widescreen cinematic. 
Yeah. And my inspiration, seriously, and if you ever go back, you could probably go to YouTube and find it. Um, a movie that changed my life when I was a kid, when I was like 12, because it was like the wildest thing I had ever seen on the screen, was called The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. And it was a it was a Ray Harryhausen stop animation film. So it had monsters like you'd never seen in a film. It had a cyclops. It had a, a two headed bird. It had a, a, a dragon. It had a sword fight with a skeleton. It had all kinds of incredible visuals. All the good and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Seventh of Sinbad. <laughs> and the score was by the same guy, Bernard Herman, who yeah. did North by Northwest and Vertigo. And he did this main title that was sort of like. North by Northwest goes to um, Arabia. And it was an amazing main title theme. And I tried to, it's not a steal from it, but it's an homage to the strangeness of those chord progressions that made me feel when I walked into the movie that I was about to go somewhere I had not been. In other words, I'd walked from a hot day in Pearl River, New York into a movie theater and suddenly I was in the midst of a complete fantasy world and this was the music underneath it and I was somewhere different. So I tried to give it this very epic cinematic feel so that I could then make the point within the song that the real blockbuster adventures are us meeting someone for the first time that we didn't plan to meet that day. Real life, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's in a stranger's face in the corners of an eye just and, 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 and I made it kind of explode twice in the song and then let it all die down as if all the, as if all the fireworks were over and all the ashes settled to the ground. Yeah. And I ended the song by saying, just with acoustic guitar, those lines I mentioned to you before. And, yeah. and, I, uh, and I stand in total awe at the simplest things that people say and do. I think yeah. true adventure lies in the ins and outs of those like me and you trying to then bring it down to real people. Yeah. It, was there an element of, cause I've always felt the other thing that's, that's great about your work lyrically is sort of stripping out the, the phoniness that often goes along with whether it's show business or whether it's, you know, a, a lot of the things that, you know, record companies, all the things that, that, you know, you were dealing with certainly at the time, but I've always connected, you know, cause I'm, I'm like one of those type of people where I just can't stand like the, the phony, you know, sort of, uh, shallow, uh, approach to really anything anymore as I get older, you know, and and I, I, I feel like you're capturing that a lot where it's sort of breaking down, breaking through all the showy stuff and all the putting it on for people stuff and getting down to kind of the, the nuts and bolts of like what real people do and what real, and I almost feel like that's a little bit of what adventures going towards is you don't need all that, all that stuff, all that, you know, kind of surfacey stuff when you have just reality because it's fun yeah. enough as is it, it, it's it's very much at the heart of it i i hope that yeah. i was getting that across i we, i was coming out of an era and i produced some albums by some british um uh art rock bands in the 70s before i did all this and i was coming out of an era where people wrote songs that really would sing about the echoes of the smoke rings of the distant visions of the shadows of the canyons of the pitfalls of your mind right and 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 everything was black light and smoke. And, Ripper, and, you're speaking and, my language right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who were some of the Who were some of the bands? Because Nubs is a huge prog seven. You know, like. Yeah. Well, I I produced an album by Straub's called Deep Cuts. Do you yeah. remember Straub's? Well, yeah. Rick Wakeman uh, started in that band. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Straub's was very, very lot of lot of lot of Mellotron. 
off. I was playing a lot of Mellotron on that album. Um, um, and uh, there were other uh, Sparks. There was a, Sparks was not that way, but Spar- uh, I love that was Sparks. We're both, yeah, we're both yeah. big Sparks fans. They were a lot of fun. They were a lot of fun. And they were very creative. But what I'm Wait, saying, can I just can I just do something really quick? Yeah. So we close the episodes with um, the same thing we did for albums. We did for we do for songs. Yeah. And I kid you not. So these are the three albums I did. You know, for round and round. Right. I kid you not. Look at my three songs. Look at the. Second one. Wow, yeah. Spark. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Wow. You yeah, that's amazing. That's truly amazing. Yeah, <laughs> they're, I they're a great album. duo. I, yeah, oh, and and uh, in the de- lyric writing department, yeah. um, uh, uh, Ron, Ron Mayo was like on his own planet. He yeah. was writing, <laughs> he had a dictionary that, that none of us had ever met. Uh, yeah. He's just, yeah. just his own take on things that was so, so cryptic and clever. So, yeah, I, I always found that, that, it's why so many of my songs are situational songs um, there because that takes it out of poetry and makes it into um, people. Uh, yeah. You don't need the, so, so it's not that I don't try to write poetically or choose my adjectives carefully or try to create images with, with, with my writing, but it's often about, uh, I have like, um, uh, sometimes I, I try to just find what's extraordinary in ordin- in the mundane. I have a song that begins, you're browsing through a secondhand bookstore and you see her in nonfiction, V through Y. She looks up from World War II and then you catch her catching you catching her eye. And you quickly turn away your wishful stare and take a sudden interest in your shoes. If you only had the courage, but you don't, she turns and leaves and you both lose. Now, there's no, that's not poetry. That's something that you can picture happening. And it's something that could happen to you tomorrow as easily as it's happening to the person in the song. Yeah. And and so that's what I always tried to reach for um, when I wasn't getting too full of trying to be, you know, live up to being a pop star. Sure. You know, and I tried to write about just reduce things to. So what happened to you today? Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I think that's why so many connect. Did is it? Do I have this right that the BBC used the keyboard intro to adventure to like, was it to sign off every night or something? I, could, I thought that I own, I thought that was just happening in my hotel room in London in my room. <laughs> I, thought that was a, I thought that was a special thing they had arranged just for me. I thought, well, isn't that nice? So British are so kind. So the reason I ask is, um, I have a fr- I've gotten a lot of my friends in on this album, and I have a friend who now lives in England, and she was playing this uh, record for for somebody who is sort of like our age and. They're like, oh, that's BBC. That's the that's what they play at at I don't know, is like at midnight or something. And apparently, that 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 lick is like incredibly fit. Like everybody in the UK knows well, it. Whoever it's kind of like it's, it's kind of like um, I, I don't know if you you know we had a show in New York, which the, the format of it appeared in lots of other cities, so it might have been in Detroit. But yeah. the format was called Eyewitness News. Yeah. And it was a certain kind. It was it was happy news. It was all, yes. where all the newscasters joke with each other. You know, we had it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And for and they had this great jittery theme at the beginning. You could probably find it on YouTube anytime. Um, and no one knew that what they were hearing was a scene from the movie, uh, the underscore from a movie called Cool Hand Luke by with Paul Newman. And there's a scene mm-hmm. where they've got to get the, the chain gang's got to get it finished. And they did this, and and everyone knows it as the eyewitness news thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it isn't the I, it, it's actually something that was created for a completely different purpose. Yeah. And, uh, and but it sounded right in that context. So, yeah, I, I've heard rumors that that it is kind of a very I mean, it, the, the, the opening lick of adventure is sort of is pretty there. It's pretty, you know, it, it's this. Yeah. It, it builds to something that says uh, you're going to recognize me here now. And, and yeah. again, it was because I was trying to make you think, oh, this is a big movie. This is a big movie I'm about to see. Yeah. And then yeah. it turns out the big movie is really about you and what you're doing tomorrow. I hope you got paid every time the BBC played that. You know, um, it's amazing the things I don't get paid for. Um, <laughs> Rupert, the dynamics on the song are so powerful. Like we, on the podcast, we reference kind of the loud, quiet, loud thing yeah. in a variety of artists and a variety of genres. You mentioned that playing live was a huge part of the construction of this album. I, I love that you're kind of rocking out on this album. I, I can only imagine, did you open shows on this tour with this song? And, and Yeah, absolutely. Because it, yeah. it, it sounds like, it's it sounds like the music that that this, the 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 artist is going to walk out on. In other words, we would play that fa- that this intro, and then as the music settles into a, a nicer riff where the vocal enters, then I would enter. I do have to tell you, we mentioned that you know we listened to this one a lot as kids, and we had this thing where when we were out playing basketball in the driveway, or when we were you know playing football in the in the yard or whatever, whenever we would like kick the other one's ass or do something good we would we would kind of parade around and go like that was like our like celebration song when we were like seven years old that was your we are the champions it was it was like like right after like i like smoked nubs in in driveway uh basketball or something which never happened i always i always well i'm very honored that i was that i was the uh I was the entrance music for you. You know how every wrestler has his own entrance yeah. music, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. That's great. Let's get to track two, The Mask. There are so many things to say. Great guitar work on this one, both yeah. electric and acoustic. I, I do want to talk a bit about, and I think The Mask gives us a good opportunity, you know, as the producer, pretty slick album here. I mean, were you kind of going into, especially when you, you know, compare it to the previous stuff, were, were you kind of going into it with a certain production approach or, or, or thought in mind as far as how you wanted this to sound? I wanted the drums to really... I wanted you to really feel them. I, when, mm-hmm. when, when drumming is the way I like it, it, it rock drumming, LP yeah. drumming, I'm not talking about jazz drumming or anything else. It feels like the drummers sort of that your speakers are lined with really thick rubber and he's playing right on that rubber. And uh, I wanted that every drum hit. I had a great drummer. His name is Benny Graham. Mm-hmm. He is the brother of Lou Graham, lead singer of oh, Foreigner. Foreigner, sure. Yeah. And Benny was a fantastic drummer, and he was on the road, and I couldn't wait to get him in the studio. I had a terrific engineer named Michael DeLug, and Michael had a tendency to mic drums very close and put a lot of um, compression on them, which mm-hmm. I happened to love growing up because the sound of AM radio to me was compression where mm-hmm. everything pumped. And I wanted to give most of the cuts that feeling. Uh, so, yeah, 
Uh, I was very lucky to have Michael DeLug, and the, there's a unity to the sound on the album. It, they, it all feels yeah. like the same studio, same engineer, oh, yeah. same yeah. attitude, and that's because it was. Yeah. It's a band. I mean, you know, uh, without question, it just sounds like a really cohesive unit and and yeah. strong rhythm section. I think John Caruso should also be mentioned too. Because yes, uh, John Caruso on bass was great, and I I, yeah. I went back. John Caruso played bass when I was like on a, on a on a. He was a, a kid, and I was a kid, and we were making records on the weekends at Scepter Records on two fifty four West fifty fourth. This is back in like nineteen sixty eight. And to have him now in my band touring with me and for him to be the bass player on the album uh, meant a lot to me just personally. I had two good lifelong friends, uh, career-long friends uh, in John Caruso and, and Dean Balin. So if I can't wait to get to the next track, man, we got it. Let's do some blackjack here. Okay. Track three, blackjack. Speaking of, speaking of drumming, that's a pretty nice groove there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got Great my, song. I got my air drumming going over here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also love, I got to say, the uh, on the single, uh, the uh, Nubs, I don't know if you've seen it, the artwork is this drawing of uh, of a jack of spades, but instead of the jack face, it's Rupert's face. I was marketing my own playing cards at that time yeah. as well. I, I sold them in the lobby during the concert. Uh, no, not really. Not really. Yeah, that was, a, that was a fun record to make. And you can hear all the bands singing on that. That's, that's, that's not, that is not all Rupert Holmes singing harmony. That's Chrissy Faith, um, Phil Marshall, that's Dean Bale, and that's Benny Graham, the drummer. Unlike so many of my other songs for albums that was written knowing that that would i felt that would work really good with the crowd yeah that's yeah. i wrote it to be the easiest learn meaning for in other words just and i knew that it, with the chorus when we went started to repeat the chorus and had the rhythm drop out and just did the vocal mm -hmm. uh that it would be the easiest thing all chrissy would have to do is indicate to the audience you know yeah. And we would have yeah. them. And it, it just, it, it was a kind of way that I didn't write before, which was, oh, we're going to, that's going to be great to do live. Yeah. I never thought in those terms before. It's yeah. a great breakdown at the end with the key change and then mm -hmm. the, the sort of thumping bass that holds its note underneath. Yeah. That's, that's a nice play. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also, again, I let Chrissy uh, go to town on the last chorus. Yeah. Uh, Chrissy yeah. Faith, uh, knowing that when we did that in concert, 98% of the guys in the crowd were watching her anyway. <laughs> so, you know, uh, yeah. I still get, I still get emails to this day and people would say, when you were on midnight special, you had this redheaded singer, <laughs> you know, nothing about me, nothing about my work, right? <laughs> Dear Rupert, I saw you on Don Kirshner's rock concert. Who was yeah. the redhead? Is she still around? Where does yeah. she live? Yeah, and I, yeah. passed, I passed them on to Chrissy, who still have, has a great singing career, and she's relocated to Italy right now, but she's, uh, she's still singing up a storm. She's worked with a ton of artists. Yeah, when you look at her roster, it's really impressive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And movies, too, film. Yeah. And she, let, me, let me give you one credit that's really, that it, no one knows about her, is um, um, in the 80s, I made a movie that was the first movie starring Demi Moore called No Small Affair. And Demi was supposed to be a rock singer. 
And uh, what we recorded didn't come off sounding very good. And Chrissy had to come into the studio, fly into Warner Brothers and dub all of Demi Moore's vocals in the movie. And she's doing all the singing in the movie for her. Never gets any credit for it. But yeah. yeah. Did you, were you thinking Blackjack was the, was the lead single? Yeah. I mean, I, I, here's what I thought. I thought Morning Man was the lead single okay. because I thought that Morning Man could build on the same people who had bought him. Yeah. Morning Man was, again, um, solo vocal by me in the verses, kind of a not a not mellow, but yeah, a kind of mellow feel to it. Uh, definitely what would be called a yacht rock feel now. Right. But then going into a kind of strong four part harmony. My, my, myself doing all the vocals mm-hmm. um, uh, the way him did. Him has this kind of moment where the lead singer, me, suddenly starts to assert that he's not going to let this situation continue. And, and he goes into this four-part harmony that's very, you know, it's very um, alpha. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, this is where some of the love I had for Brian Wilson's records when I was yeah. in high school yeah. Just hearing somebody do a whole chorale and it's all Brian Wilson, basically, or Brian Wilson telling his brothers to sing a certain way. Right. Um, so I thought Morning Man would be the right single to follow it. And it felt yeah. like I was being told that there was a drift towards um, easy uh, uh, adult AOR was the term that was used then. And I thought it was mellow, but I thought it could have an assertive chorus. Yeah. And it started to go up the adult contemporary charts. But again, you know, it's easy to blame people. Um, maybe it just wasn't to be, but uh, the label didn't work, didn't know what to do. They had never worked the record him. And so yeah. here I come in with him the second, and they don't remember how they broke him because they didn't really break him. All else fails, Blackjack, because Blackjack was for me, my please, please me. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Uh, the Beatles had had Love Me Do. And Brian Epstein was able, that was, I think, their first single that was, uh, you may have know something, you, you know more about this stuff than I do, but my impression was the very first single in England that the Beatles had out was Love Me Do. Right. Brian Epstein managed to force it onto the charts because England is such a small country that if he ordered 30,000 copies for his father's department store, that forced it artificially onto the charts. You can do that, you know. So it charted, but it wasn't a top 10 record, I don't believe. I think it may have gone to something like 17. This is Love Me Do by the Beatles. Nice record, good record, still can listen to it and enjoy it. Very simple, very simple. And the next one was Please Please Me. And when I hear Please Please Me, I hear John Lennon saying, I am going to have a hit mm-hmm. if, if it kills you. <laughs> I'm going to make sure there is not one moment in this record that is not a hook. I am not going to leave one empty space in this record. (laughs) And if it isn't, so the the record is just, it's one hook after another. It's unrelenting. It will not be, it's da, 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 da. So we got the harmonica riff. Then we have the Kathy's clown type vocal from Everly Brothers. They're doing last night I said these words, last night I said these words, Mm -hmm. which is that's alone is a hook. Then the come ons. You know know that, that, uh, no, no. Before you get to the come on, you got the guitar like da, da, da. Come on, yeah. come on. Now you got the come on, come on, come on. And now, You're right. That's, that's, that's a hunk of salt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then, but, and it was, it just never lets up. Yeah. Well, I thought Blackjack was going to be sort of my version of that. Mm-hmm. I was, I knew it would work with a live crowd. And I thought, 
I'm going to like it if I can get this to chart because this is going to be fun to perform every night. I'm yeah. going to enjoy that. So it's it's got lots of hooks. It's got a lot of guitar work. It's got a great guitar solo by Dean Balin. It's got Chrissy coming at the end. It's got a modulation. And they just kind of lost it. I remember I did one talk show. What was Who was it? It was on some talk show. John Davidson, if you can believe that. Yeah, John Davidson had a talk show. And um, we had done the song about a month earlier. And I was now on it with a new single. And he said, what happened to Blackjack? Yeah. That was a hit single. How'd you lose that? And I remember I did, Tom Snyder had the talk show that followed Johnny Carson. The Tomorrow Show. The Tonight Show. And he did the Tomorrow Show. And somewhere out there on the internet, there's a video of me doing Blackjack with the band, this band. Oh, really? And we brought down the house and it it was the best live performance I ever did on TV. And when I sat down, he said... He said to me, you know, we had Elvis Costello on last week, and I think you just outdid him. And I thought, okay, so this has to be a hit. This has yeah, to be. But yeah. guess what? On Earth 2, which we're now living on, it was not a hit. On Earth 1, it was a hit. But unfortunately, we live on Earth 2 right now. So somewhere in a parallel universe, it was a hit. Well, it's a hell of a song. Let's do a track for The O'Brien Girl. talking earlier about how the tour um got you in really good vocal shape i i kind of thought of the o'brien girl i think I, it's just a great vocal and there are a lot of moments on this record where it seemed like compared to your previous work that you stretched yourself vocally and that i think the o'brien girl is a, a good example of that i think the two the two strongest vocals probably are the o'brien girl and um uh, you'll love me again, where I hit a couple notes that I do not have in me, and and they just appear <laughs> out of nowhere. Um, yeah, the O'Brien girl, because I was trying to. It, one of the funny things that happens with me is that people. We're in an era now where people assume that a singer songwriter that every song that they write is a page torn from their diary, and that every song that they're singing is about them and really happened. It's the Taylor Swift thing, you know, and so in other words, right, right. here's a new album. We'll find out who her new boyfriends are and or, or her new attitude is. And and sometimes people don't understand that I play characters sometimes in these songs. And people I've seen people say what Rupert Holmes did in the Pina Colada song is shameful. And he and his wife should be ashamed of them. I'm thinking, <laughs> do you think, do you really think I did that? You know, this, so anyway, the, in the O'Brien girl, I'm sort of back in high school in that in that song. And it was about, there was most high schools would have kind of some student and there was some, they just appear in the middle of the school year and they seem to have some kind of mysterious story. And no one ever, people would say, what's, what's, where'd she, where'd she, where'd she come from? Where did mm-hmm. he come from? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's the stuff that made the Shangri-La's record so good, you know, leader of the pack. And, a, and I wanted to kind of convey that high school yearning that I remember feeling for uh, there was a girl in school and she just appeared and we all knew there was some, something secret about her life yeah. and she wouldn't talk about where she had come from and what she, why she had just suddenly appeared in school yeah. and why her parents, and it, and it made her all the more romantic and mysterious and haunting. Yeah. So I tried to put that into this song, uh, tried to make it almost like, 
a, a Phil Spector kind of production. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's very, very swirly. It, it, the, yeah. the story and the and the song really pair together nicely the way you want it Thanks. to. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Well, let's go from the swirly to a rocker here. Crowd pleaser. Yes. This is, the, this is the jam. Of this the is record, the jam. Right? This is it. Yeah. It's very modern, Rupert. It's very, you know, this song really holds up when you got that riff during the verses, that sort of, you know, um, open picking riff underneath yep. that, that vocal is, it's really, um, that, that, this is a song that really, really holds up. I wanted to, I wanted to have it be, as far as that guitar riff underneath the vocal, I kind of wanted it to be Day Tripper on acid, although mm-hmm. probably Day Tripper was on acid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I wanted it to be like the next generation of a Day Tripper kind of guitar line. Um, and as far as the song goes, I thought I've written so many story songs. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what I do. Situational songs, story songs. And here I am, knowing that this is going to be something I perform live with the band. Why don't I make the band the story? Yeah. Why don't I make the story about, yeah. why don't I play a lead singer with a band and the band, and it used to be his band, but then Stevie Nicks came in. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. like Fleetwood yeah. Mac had this band and then suddenly it was the Stevie Nicks band. Yeah. And when each member of the band is introduced, you know who gets the most applause. Chrissy's up there on stage. And anytime I let her uh, rock out, uh, she steals the show. I'm really good with that because I'm not going to, I'm not going to be rocking out that much. Right. Right, right. And I'm kind of enjoying also the break. I can sit at the piano and I can bang the chords out and take and have a glass of water. So I thought, well, let me make it about a a lead singer, a female singer comes into the band and sort of becomes the whole center of attention. And the guy can say, this used to be my show. This yeah. I guess I'm, I'm like, right. you know, I, I always make the joke. People say, do you perform? I say, I play in a Rupert Holmes tribute band <laughs> right. and I play, and I play bass. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and, uh, and they like me because I know the chords. Um, <laughs> right, so I thought, right. about, I saw, I thought that would be good. I can, I can actually stage yeah. um, Chrissy upstaging me and make it part of a song. So she was very inspirational to that. And she just does a great job on it. That's cool. Rupert, I love the chorus on this. You just mentioned kind of the rhythmic aspect with those eight notes. Is this one where the verse led to the chorus or did the chorus lead to the verse? Because to me, the song really builds towards the chorus. So is that something you started with and you said, how can I shape around this or was it vice versa? It's, it's most of the time, I, I hope this is the truth. I think it's the truth. I'd say in the majority of the song, with the majority of the songs I write, the verse comes first. Uh, first, because the course has to be the ultimate outcome of what's happened in the verse. And until I have the verse, I don't know what that outcome can be. I think that um, on, I think on Blackjack and maybe on this, the chorus came first. But I knew I had to have a, the chorus is, you know, it's, 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 it's funny because crowd pleaser uh, has a big, powerful chorus. And then the verse, it, when you go to the verse on it each time, it's like kind of, it's a pullback emotionally because the guy's suffering. You know, he says, she sings the best. This is the worst. You know, it's like, 
and 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 I, I, I'm gonna have to quit the band. This was my band, and I'm gonna have to quit. I just can't take it. And also, it's by the way, it's about a, a, another theme that runs through my work. And again, this is to me trying to relate it to real life situations. I've written a lot of times about people who are in situations where they are in love with someone, they may have a romance with that person, and then it ends, but they're still in love with them, and they have to continue to work with them alongside them every day. Mm -hmm. I wrote a song called Business as Usual about a guy who's, the woman he's involved with breaks up with him, but they're both working for the same company, and they have to keep attending meetings together. And she keeps sending him memos, and they're not love letters, and 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 it's torture. And yet yeah. he has to keep the job because that's the job he's got. And that's sort of been in in crowd pleaser. He's, he's thinking, I, I, you know, I loved her, and now she belongs to everybody, not me. And what am I going to do? Am I along for the ride? Am I just going to carry her bags? Is what you know? And yeah. and and it's so it's um so the verses are heartbreak. The choruses is. Uh, anguish and and her triumph so i think in this case the course did come first well a good lead in i think lyrically to this next one which i can't wait to talk about this is the beginning of side two track six you'll love me again Nubs can attest to this. Uh, this is uh, certainly my favorite song of the album. I think, I think this is just one hell of a song, Rupert. It's uh, you know the the power of it, right? And you know the vocals, the the lyrics are really interesting too, because you know there's this like there's this idea that um, you know this guy is a little heartbroken, but there's also this like you talked earlier about like this confidence it's sort of there's almost a little bit of a like you'll be back thing here that is really cool and if you're there's a there's a hopefulness to it in addition to being a well you left me that sucks but listen you know you'll you'll get it you'll you'll wake up one day and you know and the light bulb will go back on and all. i mean so but but really musically um it's very unique in that kind of you know, hitting, ringing out chorus, lots of space. The vocal is super good. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're obviously hitting some good range there, but man, I just, I think it's a beautiful song. It's my favorite on the record. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah. You know, it was an unusual song for me to write because my characters and my songs are more likely to be uh, uncertain uh, mm -hmm. or I, I write a lot about characters who think they know what's going on. And then you, you'll find a song uh, coming up called cold mm -hmm. where the, uh, where the narrator is very sure of himself at the beginning of the song. Right. And in the course of the song, he realizes he's completely misunderstood what this woman and probably all women are about. And he's, and he, he ends the song. And I always feel it's a good, I've done a good job if, uh, if my vocalist, my, my vocalist, listen to me, I'm the vocalist, if my character, if my lead, if my protagonist, yeah. if my protagonist is, is somewhere different at the end of the song than they were at the beginning. Right. Uh, I don't like songs where you just stay stagnant, where you just, it strikes a note of we're going to party all night. And at the end, you're saying we're still going to party all night. You know? right. I, I like there to be some kind of progression. Yeah. Um, so normally my, my, my protagonist, I hate to say heroes, um, are either full of self-doubt or not full of self-doubt and get the rug pulled out from underneath them. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, as is sort of the case with the, the guy in the Pina Colada song, where he's sitting there saying, oh, I was tired of my lady. He's all full of himself. You know, I, I need something new. Right. And in the end, he realizes that she's the one who placed the ad. She was more tired of him than he was tired of her. And he learns a lesson from it. Uh, in this case, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And there is something, you know, there's something it, it can turn into obsessive and it can turn into something maybe not healthy. Right. But there is something we still admire about someone who will not be stopped. Yeah. Someone, right. someone who said, you know, there's something about a guy who says, uh, I, now, now that guy can turn out to be a stalker, but I don't think that's the case <laughs> no, here. No. I think this is just somebody saying, yep, you think we're over yeah. and I will walk the Sahara barefoot and bring you ice water to yeah. quench your thirst. There is nothing I will. And by the way, I know that I'm going to succeed. You'll yeah. read, you'll, and there's just something. It was fun for once to actually say, this should be a down song. This should be a right. sad song. This should be right. the somebody done somebody wrong song. Yeah. And instead it's no, this is just, this is, you know, it's, it's all about the guy saying, no, I can see, I have a vision. I can see it. I'm progressing towards it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 and someday, you know, yeah. my mother it's, was British. My mother was British and she brought me up. She raised me to believe that the American revolution was a mis, uh, was a diplomatic blunder by George Washington. Uh, that was her point of view on it. Uh, the right. British always think, I think that we're someday going to realize what an error we made and we're going to come back, you know, and, right. and there's something wonderfully single minded about that. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually very, very glad that you like this song. I really, yeah. and the kind of forthrightness that the, that the song declares um, meant that I had to sing it. Yeah. That way. Yeah. And I had to hit notes that I don't, I don't actually have some of those notes in my range. I never did. Yeah. And when I was done, but for the period of time that I was recording this and there's no electron, we didn't have electronic doctoring at that time. So I just had to hit these notes and it was sheer willpower. Well, there's one where I go and I will be, I I jump two octaves or something and it's coming from a very low note. Um, And so I, it's like a jump of a, maybe a, uh, you know, sixteenth or something like that. That's a anyway. real apex of the song. I mean, when you're when you're saying uh, you'll wake one night and it just things are just really building further up, and I mean, it's a real, it's a real apex of the tune, both both lyrically and it just it captures the story and the the music so well. Um, wonderful song there on track six. Let's go to track seven, the one you mentioned briefly, "Cold." I'm burning for you. So, so this uh, basically clean tone, maybe a little overdrive on her guitar solo that takes it out the last shoot couple minutes, minute and a half um, is probably the, the coolest part I would say of cold. It's that's really, that's like a, that's like David Gilmore type guitar work. They're really, really nice um, kind of bluesy funky over that really cool beat. Um, it's a good song leading up to it, but I, you know, I think that that last uh, minute and a half with the guitar work is really the highlight. Yeah, well, that's 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 definitely me wanting Dean to have 
like a stage from self. The 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 riff is a is uh, played by Benny and and the bass uh, is a, a real nice tattoo underneath it. Yeah, uh, and uh, I just wanted to let him have his. I, I would have liked it if the whole second side had just been his solo, just going all the way, you know, for another twenty five minutes. But uh, but it, it, it's actually a favorite song of mine. I, I like the harmonies, that, especially mm-hmm. at the end. I sing some really sick harmonies with yeah. myself that, yeah. that I I where I couldn't. I knew on paper the harmonies would work interestingly, but they were so strangely dissonant that I had to record each part not hearing the other harmony because oh wow if I tried to sing with the other voices I'd say no that can't be the right note yeah yeah but once I sang them I sang them as if they were and I had to I had to actually notate even though I don't need to because I've got it in my head I had to actually notate the harmony part for myself and play it more as if I were playing. Uh, an instrument rather than singing it because yeah. it was just the, the harmony notes made no sense against yeah. the chords, but I knew that they would sound eerie. Main thing I was trying to do was get a very shivery sound from the outset. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I really think it's successful that way. I like the arc in that song a lot. Let's get to a favorite here for sure. And, uh, and one that you touched on earlier in morning, man. It's it's kind of um, it's a little bit more obscure as far as a layer is concerned. This album just has great layering. I love that that little acoustic strum during the choruses. You know, I think that's important. It's uh, you know, because it kind of keeps that. Obviously, the groove of this and the just kind of overall feel of this is important. But I always notice that little faint acoustic strum in you know, that you know what's funny too is you hear that and you know what what totally stands out to me is uh, that low those low synth notes during the verse during the chorus is what totally stands out to me yeah yeah you know so it's funny <laughs> that we both pick out totally different things yeah well yeah. it's 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 they're both interesting observations the the acoustic it's kind of interesting if you think about the record him uh the verses of him are all that nice open acoustic right and then when you get into the chorus, the acoustic becomes less important to the to the feel. So the, the part of him that goes over by the window is all bass line, this pump and bass line. Mm-hmm. And Dean's a very good strum by Dean. In this one, I was going with the bass line in the verses that, that Nubs is referring to. And in the chorus, I wanted to kind of bring in that open strum just just that you could feel it. Yeah. against this thick harmony, this very thick harmony that I was doing. Right. Uh, so, so there's a little bit of both. And that's interesting, though, that you, you talk about whether it's a... Uh, whenever I played keyboard, and by the way, I said that I played the whole album on Prophet 10, but I also uh, played acoustic piano and electric piano and sure. other instruments like that. But um, I also love having my left hand uh, playing a different riff on a different keyboard than my right hand. And so on the mask, for example, you've got this sound that sounds, it sounds like a bass clarinet and it's a square wave on an old Korg, uh, Korg's version of a Moog, uh, the Korg M1. And I'm playing the boom. So I have the left hand on, on the mask being played by the Korg, uh, just alone, a monophonic instrument. And then the right is by on the prophet. Um, on this, the, the left hand bass you referenced is me on profit, but it's also being doubled by Dean on guitar. Uh, but he's not yeah. playing it as if he's a guitar player. 
he's playing it as if he's uh, part of the synth. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. package it's like a and pop comes, mute kind of yeah, thing so it's got like, that yeah. it's got the attack of a guitar pick right but it, it's got the the actual color of it is more of a keyboard sound so that was all we all worked out that boom 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 yeah boom 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 it's very uh syncopated bass yeah. line yeah and that's what that compression you talked about earlier all that effect can really make a just a single guitar pick note like that compliment yeah, the, yeah the, it just it's yeah. it's one big squash yeah, and it, yeah. It's, it's it's and i love it i love it a lot of people purists wouldn't like it but i love it that that's what stands out to me not just about morning man but about the album and tof you mentioned it earlier there's so many elements of this that hold up musically um, just in terms of like sonically what the band was doing. That's a great example. I mean, you're talking about, you know, some vintage instruments, but it sounds just as fresh and good in 2020 as it did in 1980. And think about how many albums of the eighties sound really dated. The drum sound is muddy and uh, synthesizers sound cheesy. This is not that. I mean, morning man sounds really fresh and really sonically something very cohesive. Well, you know, it's it's kind of here's the, here's the thing. I I think my approach to synthesizers was always different from other uh, keyboard artists because I was not my instrument is really orchestra. I'm an okay piano player. I played piano on all my albums, but I always kind of consider myself a rhythm piano player, mm-hmm. the way that's a rhythm guitar, you know. Um, and, and I'm my acoustic piano is the piano you hear on on Escape the Pina Colada song or anything I do, but but. Having written a lot for real instruments, uh, real strings, real woodwinds, real brass, I couldn't stand the cheesy sounds of synths that were supposed to sound like those instruments. And I felt that I would either, from the, from the palette of colors that I could get on a synthesizer in 1980, um, I, cho- I tried to choose either the sounds that could evoke the real instruments I might have chosen, but weren't trying hard to be those instruments. Or even better, I would invent instruments in my patches, which is the term for a setting on a synthesizer. The patches I created would be like no instrument you'd ever heard, including all the synth heavy albums that you'd heard in the past. I would try to find something where you thought, I don't even know if that's a synth. And sometimes I would blend, as I just mentioned, I would have Dean double something with me Um, or even uh, triple something with me. And so because the sounds were never of a period, I think they've held up pretty well because they don't evoke um, uh, jump or, or, or any of the other synth heavy records of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Rupert, am I right to uh, think that this, uh, this song is about a good old fashioned morning stup? Um, It's about a, (laughs) it's about the situation of the, of, uh, a couple who find who aren't whose lives aren't their their work shifts are not the same. Um, you know, a lot of DJs at that time were, were you know, a DJ they'd say uh, this is our morning man mm-hmm. on a radio station. I, I must have talked to every DJ at every radio station in America during the time of the Pina Colada song, and uh, and there was always the you know, can you go on the air at six thirty? Why? Well, it's morning drive. He's the morning right. man. So I started thinking about all these morning men and sometimes morning women on the air. Mm -hmm. And I thought their schedule simply cannot work with someone they know who works other hours. And what if they know someone who works a night shift? They might only see each other as one of them is coming in from work and the other is getting ready to go to work. Yeah, they might have to. And so their whole life might hover around one hour 
when I always pictured uh, the woman in the song being a nurse coming off the night shift. Yeah. And uh, yeah. she's working the midnight grind. And it's just that their romance is still continuing. They're living in the same apartment, but yeah. they're never seeing each other. And they're leaving notes for each other all the time. I did this. I took that. I'm going out. Da, da, da. And they're in this romantic relationship without ever having contact, except for this golden hour when she might come to bed and he has to go out of bed. And maybe if he can afford to be a little late and she can afford to get home just a little bit early, maybe there's some way they can have their <laughs> bliss, even within that, the context yeah. of punching a clock. Yeah, I know it's sappy, but, it, but it's yeah. something that happens. People sometimes yeah. have to make things like that uh, work for them. Yeah. Just, yeah, if there's such a thing as afternoon delight, right. um, this is um, a morning metaphysics, you know? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a, and, and yet another great example of of the the story and the concept really blending perfectly with the music. That, that's part of what I love about adventure is it all works. You know, it's all and, and that's I think where theatricness of things that we've talked about before and all your other work tied to theater and tied to television, all these things. It's 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 not just uh, what lyrics can I slap over this to kind of make it work. It really does all work together. It's all very integrated, you know, and in morning man, another good example of that. Did, did this get some radio play? Was this, did this perform okay as a single yeah, for it, you? Or? It almost, it almost looked like it was going to be a hit. Yeah. Um, I think it, I, I believe on the adult at that time, the adult contemporary charts were actually meaning something. Right. Um, some people thought that was where top 40, the, the top 40 would go away. And and that uh, AC would take over, um, and instead a lot of different things happened. Uh, and and remember, of course, that um, music videos still had not really arrived at this yeah. point. Yeah. This is just I think I did a video of, you know. And by the way, when you did a music video in those days, it had like a budget of three thousand right. dollars, and right. and you and someone said. I think we should shoot it in a warehouse. And you say, you mean like every other music video? Because you can, you know, yeah, I know a warehouse that no one will complain that we do. So, um, um, so there was, that took music in another direction, but morning man did. um, I thought I saw something where it was at least top 20 on the AC, maybe even top 10 for one week or something. And did pretty good in England. I think too. I, I, I was, I was happy with it, but again, we really felt everyone involved in the record, uh, felt like there was a hit here to be had and they mm. just kind of lost it. Yeah. Well, it should have been hell of a song. Let's get to track nine. I don't need you. If you'll just come by today so that I can have you near forever while I say that I don't need There's a lot of that um, that fuzz guitar, you know. Um, you see it earlier, I think, in Crowd Pleaser. But uh, another good guitar song on this record, and and obviously, I think you touched on it earlier. It's you know, it's a it's a it's kind of a fun tune. It's a you know, it's irony of the bouncy, snappy, catchy music with the you know <laughs> with the lyrics coming over the top of it is is pretty pretty vintage Rupert, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean. Early in my career, uh, I really admired the records that Gilbert O'Sullivan would make because sometimes he could have a very bouncy song. And if you're on the fifth listening, you'd realize it's actually a pretty sad song. Yeah. Uh, or, or it's a, 
or you or it's a plucky song where he's trying trying to stay optimistic. In a way, this this song. First of all, this is an incredibly simple song. It's an incredibly simple um, a chart. Uh, mm-hmm. Very straightforward. It's one of the songs I still to this day love to perform. I really mm-hmm. enjoy it because it gets a laugh of recognition from people. Where I, you know, I say losing weight and losing sleep and losing my mind fast. Stop! I don't, and I slap myself in the face at that point. Mm-hmm. And also, I forgot your number six three six four eight three one, and I don't need you. Um, and it's a human condition, and it's um, and it's sort of the inverse of you love me again. Um, yeah. And uh, and morning man, I mean, and morning man. Yeah. It's great because morning man is I need you, right? Like yep, yep. we're on these differing work schedules, <laughs> and I really need you. And then the next song is I ah, get the hell out of here. I don't need you. <laughs> well, you know, I've always felt of all of Aesop's fables, you know, the tortoise and the hare, and all those. You know, I've always felt the fox and the grapes was he he didn't go into, into an, as much detail as I would have liked. Sour grapes, you know, the phrase sour grapes comes from a fox that wants to get some grapes and then he finds he can't get them. So he says, well, they probably would have been sour anyway. <laughs> right. And that's how we go through life. Like, oh, well, I, I probably wouldn't have liked her anyway. Yeah. I probably yeah. wouldn't have loved him. Uh, and, 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 and we're always doing that. And it's the truth is that, you know, uh, when people say, I just want her to, you know, own up to the fact that she has clo- issues of sharing, and, and and that's all I really want for closure. And I turn to the guy and I'll say, "No, you wanted to say I want you back, and can we please get back again?" You know. So so this was kind of a straightforward song. I always admired songwriters like Roger Miller and uh, and Gilbert O'Sullivan, who could write a real lighthearted song. And it could be catchy, and yet there was a little bit of humanity in it as well. Yeah. And uh, and 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 also, by the way, if you can get a laugh, that doesn't hurt. So as I wrote this again, I thought, oh, this will be fun to perform. I'll like performing this for an audience. You yeah. Know? So. We did a um, early episode about Phil Collins of his Face Value record. You know, back same year, I think nineteen eighty, right? And we touched on that. It was you know the, the artist who can come up with this catchy, poppy, memorable music. But then layer this story that when you when you read the lyrics, it's like, whoa, I didn't didn't see that coming. He did that a lot. And and I think, yeah, it's a great example of that. And but to make the whole package work is is something that's pretty cool. And, And I think a lot of people who don't key in on either the sort of deeper lyrical content or, you know, don't necessarily piece it together with this dichotomy of of bouncy music with this sometimes like dark, like, whoa, kind of lyrical content. It can be very cool when you get that working together. Yeah. Um, I, 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 who, um, who, it was Regis and Kathy Lee. Who replaced Kathy Lee with Regis Philbin? Um, what's her name? Uh, another oh, uh, Kelly Ripa. Kelly Ripa. So a year ago, Kelly Ripa suddenly goes on a tear. Someone says, you got to turn on TV. And she's explaining to the audience what, the Pina Colada, what the story of the Pina Colada song actually is. Like after 40 years, she's just finding out now <laughs> what it's about. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they're the people who are 
only now discovering that um, I'll be watching you by Sting is actually a very menacing song. Yeah, right. <laughs> and right. It's, it's definitely the serial killer or stalker yeah. song, you know. Right. So there's something fun, it's something interesting when people don't fully realize what a song. I heard Delilah yeah. for years and never realized the lyric is is dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's quite a story. That's great that it's one you still like to perform. Let's close yeah. it up here with special thanks. Again, layers, just layer. I the did, vocal texture. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. love that about the record. It's great that it closes in that fashion. And mm. special thanks is a real kind of neat way to wrap it up. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a very nice, uh, you know, closing to this um, to this record. Rupert, I kind of hear this, uh, you know, I'm Not In Love by 10CC, where you got those, where the background vocals are really instruments. That's what I think of when I hear special things. I don't know if that was intentional at all, but I, I, I'm making that connection. Uh, the connection is is uh, perfectly made. I was not striving to create the I'm not in love sound, which was an amazing sound. But the way I was, what I was trying to get, what I did there was uh, the, the I, I didn't want, I wanted it to sound like uh, a choir. Uh, so what I did is I wrote a four-part chorale. That's 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 when you study classical music. That's there's a way you write a four-part chorale for soprano, alto, tenor, tenor, and baritone, and you write the there's certain voicings that you're supposed to use. I wrote a four-part chorale as the backup, rather than trying to say, well, sing harmony to my melody. I just wrote these cushions of chords, and then what I did instead of having Chrissy sing the soprano part and Dean sing the alto part and I had them each sing each line as in unison mm-hmm. and double track it so that we ended up having like 10 vocalists on four vocal lines so that right. you had basically a 40 piece choir uh, singing at the, at the same time. And, and even where they go from ah and to ooh was done almost, it felt like those old high school concerts that I used to go to where there'd be someone conducting the, the high school choir and they'd always indicate, you know, no, no, very quiet and all like that. So you're hearing the whole band form the tap, the, the tapestry for, for my special thanks. And it always seemed like every album that ever came out always ended up with a credit saying special thanks to, and it would always say something like so-and-so for the great coffee. And so and so for the back rubs and all like that. And I thought maybe I should, instead of putting that on the back cover of the album, write a song that, that that is my special thanks to absolutely everyone who has made this life that I've been living, uh, where I'm doing exactly what I always hoped to do, yeah, um, possible. Because I, I even then and 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 at that time I didn't know I was going to be writing Broadway shows and novels and things <laughs> like that. But but I thought. I'm what I'm doing for a living. I would do for free and I would even pay them to let me do this. And the trick was one, not to let them know that or they wouldn't pay me. (laughs) But, but I thought I really am a lucky son of a gun. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought I should write a little bit of a hymn here saying, um, thank you. Well, I thought it was cool too. Cause in the, in the liner notes, the album, you, you have a really kind of touching little tribute to your listeners. I don't know if you even recall this being part of the 
insert, but you, you kind of say, if you're reading this and you bought the album, thank you. And I can't do this without you and write me here and I'll write you back if it's coherent. It's just a very cool, you know, not, a lot, not a lot of artists that were at your stature at the time would have done something so genuine and, and connect, uh, connectable. I thought that was very cool. It was a nice touch. I, I just always remember um, when I would perform, I would meet people after the show and some of them had been listening to my albums for years, you know, because really I started in 1974. I didn't have a number one record. I didn't have a top 10 record until 1979, 1980, the end of the very last week of the 70s. People would show up after my shows and say, well, I had this. And they'd hold up my albums, five albums back, six albums back. And, and I think you were there all, you know, you've been listening to this. I still get letters all the time. Uh, from people who say, I've been listening to your music for the last 40 years, and thank you for... I, I write back to them and say, the, the fact that I've been, you've let me be the interior decorating for your life, one wall of your house, and uh, uh, means a great deal to me. And by the way, a lot of people took me up on it and wrote to me, and it meant a lot to write back to them. So, Well, allow us to be sincere, and uh, this is going to be super lame, but I want to give you special thanks for taking us through that album, because, you know, it is one that, as you can tell, we've dug dug into quite a bit, and to get your your take and get your recollections and all that on it is, is really, really cool for us and you've taken so much time to to hang out with us uh and help our our little podcast here and uh we're just we're just incredibly thankful for that um we uh we usually close by uh we we actually give a little bit of a rating on our on the album we're reviewing where we either uh say it's on the turntable it's in the collection it's collecting dust or it's in the for sale bin right and I'll just save everyone a lot of time. This one's on the turntable. It's on the turntable. For, yeah, absolutely. And we'll remain on the turntable. Yeah, of course, the fact that I'm here kind of forces your hands. <laughs> you it's know a lot what? easier to say. But it's a, yeah, listen. it's a bit easier, but we, we would have gone with it anyway. It's a great record. Ripper. And are you Thank guys you. and you guys are truly twins, but obviously not identical twins. We actually we are, are identical, believe it. We are. Yeah. You are? Oh, well, yeah. then, the, then the beard does so much different. I, I was thinking that you didn't look alike, but you are identical twins. This is my COVID beard right here, you know. Oh, actually, I, I, grew, I grew it in honor of this episode just, uh, just yesterday. <laughs> I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. This is my COVID beard, too, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah this, this took me, uh, how long has it been? Six months, so yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Ripper, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. This has been a huge thrill. It was actually uh, a lot of fun for me. Thank you for living so deep in these uh, tunes and the adventure album. And, and uh, by the way, uh, for the first time in a long time, you can actually buy the album. You can get it at a, uh, both. Uh, um, it's been reissued as, as down, for download at uh, Amazon and, uh, and iTunes. And it's also on Pandora and all the other services. And that wasn't true about three years ago. So I think it was even more recent. I, I checked like a year ago on Amazon and I was like, why isn't this on here? And then yeah. all of a sudden it, it, uh, it appeared. I was very, yeah. I was very yeah. happy yeah. about that. Well, uh, universal music group, uh, sort of got it together and realized that yeah. there, was, there were people, there were enough people asking for it. So, uh, that turned out good. You have a wonderful show. And I, I, I was actually really enjoyed myself tremendously being on it. Well, we appreciate it very much. And and it was really great to hang out and hear more about this wonderful record. And uh, perhaps our paths will cross someday, but thank you for, thank you for this recording. And thanks for all you've done for, for the arts and for, uh, 
you know, your multifaceted career and we'll, we'll keep cheering you on from up here in Michigan. I appreciate it. I appreciate it a lot. Nubs, let's get in a quick in your head before we close it up. Nubs, what is in your head, sir? Right. Well, you know what? We haven't done a, a Michael McDonald reference for a while. So let's just go with a little Doobie Brothers taking it to the streets, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You don't know me because I'm your brother. Huh? I, listen, I don't know if this was intentional, but you know that on the old podcast here, you can't throw out Mr. McDonald without being ready to back it up. Well, you, you know, during the pandemic, how much I've been working on my McDonald. Yeah. So well, let's just go ahead and showcase it. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to take us there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. You ready? Are these actual old Michael McDonald tapes? Okay. Here it comes. Here we go. Okay. Here we go. All right. All right. Here we go. Oh, you don't know me, but I'm your brother. I was raised in living hell. You don't know my kind in your world. I fairly soon the time will tell. Sing it, Michael. Sing it. Telling me all the things you're gonna do for me And I ain't blind but I still don't know what I think I see Thank you. Next in uh, in my head is uh, something completely different, which is uh, Fallen to Sleep by Mudvayne off the Lost and Found album. And then uh, kind of a should have been bigger Moby hit, We Are All Made of Stars off of the 18 hmm. album. T, what is in your head? I'm kind of glad that we didn't subject Rupert Holmes to our singing performance. Oh, he would like. have signed off immediately. Yeah, I feel like he would have been outski. Um, I, I referenced this during the episode when we had Rupert, but uh, uh, Sparks is a band that he mentioned and I've mentioned before. And this is a song called Tryouts for the Human Race, which was during a, you know, Sparks has had all these different eras. You know, it's it's one of those bands that, you know, has has kind of tried a little bit of everything. This was when they were going through kind of a disco synth type phase. Um, a great track there. The second is the band Rush, which we focused on two episodes ago. And uh, their song, Red Barchetta, which uh, obviously is just, you know, you kind of rotate through some of your top 10 favorite Rush songs, but wonderful uh, jam there from those guys. Song about a car, as Geddy Lee says it. And the third is by the Commodores, and it's called Slippery When Wet, just a little funk jam from those guys, one of Lionel's early ones. And that is what is in my head. Feature one of Lionel's best, ow. I think, yeah, he's got, he's got, he's got pretty, a pretty, pretty good a few one. Pretty good owls on that yeah. one. Hey, special thanks uh, again, no pun intended to uh, Rupert Holmes, you know, having him join the podcast was, was awesome. And uh, hope you all enjoyed our discussion on Rupert Holmes's adventure. Nubs, anything uh, in closing? Oh, nothing. Just, you know, got to 
hang out for a while with a uh, dude with a number one hit record, you know, just, just another day at the office. No big deal. Just another day in the old podcast here. Well, we will see you again soon for our next episode, but certainly episode 17, one for the books here on two twins and an album. Well, that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We will see you on tour. Until then, take it easy.